Good morning, my Calvary Bible Church family, and all others, including those joining us via our live stream. Uh, this morning, we are recognizing the work of the Christian Counseling Center, which has been active in our community since 1986. If you read the website of the Christian Counseling Center, we see that the center exists to help hurting people by providing professional counseling and education resources that inspire growth in relationships with God, others, and self in an accepting, caring, confidential environment. If you were listening very carefully to what Sister Helen just said, you'd realize that she spoke about relationships. She spoke about community things that we're in danger of losing or letting go simply because we're in lockdowns or we're in pandemics. And some of us may be saying, praise the Lord, I don't have to relate to anyone. You know, I don't have to be involved in community anymore. But is that what our Lord expects of us? I'd like to explore that this morning. Because in the brief time that I have with you, I'd like not only to focus on what the Christian Counseling Center does, but also why it does it, and what is the role of each one of us in the mission of the Christian Counseling Center. Just pause with me as I pray. Well, Father, as this message from your word is presented, my prayer is that I, your servant, would be accurate and clear as I present, that you would be honored and lifted up in this act of worship, May your people be enlightened and encouraged to be obedient to your will, so that they will be light in the darkness, pointing the way to your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be conduits of your love wherever you place us, and may we actively seek opportunities to bring you honor and glory. All this I pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The motto of the Christian Counseling Center is helping hurting people, which is also the title of this message. This motto really summarizes the mission of the Christian Counseling Center. Let us go to scripture for the reasoning behind such a mission. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 22, 36 to 40. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, unless indicated otherwise on the slides. A lawyer from among the Pharisees of the day asked Jesus, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He, being Jesus, said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus states unequivocally that our love for God is to be total. The Christian Counseling Center exists because the founders, the workers, and the successors love God and take seriously the command to love our neighbor. We must realize 
that the command in verse 37 to love the Lord or God with all our heart, soul, and mind cannot occur unless the command in verse 39 to love our neighbor as ourself is a reality in our lives. 1 John 20 states, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, he has seen, cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. Let us explore who is this neighbor, lest we forget. And what does love for our neighbor look like in day-to-day life? Let us now turn to Luke 10, 25 to 37. It's a very familiar passage. This passage clearly defines the mission of the Christian Counseling Center as it helps hurting people. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. In verse 25, this lawyer is preoccupied with eternal life and how to achieve it, which was not unusual among the Jews of the day, actually. That's a concern of many of us today. What is interesting is that in his question, he has already determined that he can obtain eternal life by his own endeavors. As a Pharisee, the keeping of the law, which we know is not humanly possible, was their requirement to please God and thereby attain eternal life. Jesus 
plays along allows this man to answer his own question using his own context. Sure enough, the answer in verse 26 is obedience to the law. How many of us, even in God's family of the redeemed, live very stressful lives? Because we are somehow convinced that unless we are perfect, or at least better than everyone else, we cannot please or be used by God. We don't realize that Jesus' perfection makes up for all our imperfections in God's eyes. The committed men and women at the Christian Counseling Center are by no means perfect and are therefore able to empathize with the human imperfections that are common to us all. And we seek to provide guidance and comfort as God has guided and comforted us, which is every moment of our existence. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4 tells us, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let's return to the parable. In verse 27, the learned man answers Jesus' question as to what is written in the law as follows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's everything, all of us and your neighbor as yourself. My personal feeling is, as soon as those words were out of his mouth, he recognized the enormity of this task, the impossibility of it. But recognizing that he dare not ask, who is God? But wanting to justify himself, he had to look for a loophole. After all, Lawyers back then and lawyers today look for loopholes in the law. Jesus gives this lawyer an ironclad definition of who is a neighbor. This definition applies to every one of us today. But first, Jesus tells us who a neighbor is not. Let us look at the first expression of the bad neighbor if you can even call this person a neighbor. There is this man hurting on the side of the road. The road is known to be filled with danger. To top it off, the Jews and the Samaritans, they just don't get along. They have a history of bad blood. To the Samaritans, there's no such thing as a good Jew. And to the Jews, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Let's not get into the whys and the history, because that's a totally different story. But give a bit of context. Most theologians believe and agree that the man on the side of the road was actually a Jew. That was the intent. He'd been beaten, robbed, stripped naked, and left, as the passage states, half dead. Do you know anyone that is feeling beaten up by the storms of life. It can be caused by 
grief, deteriorating relationships, physical or emotional abuse, anxiety, loss of possessions, depression, so many other things that afflict us. I would say that every one of those things that I mentioned just now, everyone in this room has experienced with at least one or many of them. It may not even be historical. It probably is actually current. Quite often, when we lose the trappings of success, or position of authority, or livelihood, material possessions, the ability to think, we lose our hair. We're so embarrassed, we feel naked. Because those things that we took pride in, and we felt distinguished us from everyone else, they've been stripped from us. And we now seem to be like everyone else, or even those people we looked down upon before. In other words, our frailties are laid bare before us and before the world. And we can't cope. We feel exposed, emotionally naked. There are many of us who are suffering, not many of us, all of us are suffering, one way or the other. Pre-COVID, life was dangerous and unpredictable. With COVID, those dangers and the unpredictability didn't go away. It was actually added to. It's presented many challenges that threaten our way of life. And it's left many of us half dead. Many of us. Where can we find help? Because we need help. We interact with so many people on a daily basis. But is anyone aware of what we are going through? If they do, do they care enough to help, or do they see any reason to help? Do you even want to know about my condition? Or would you rather dwell in ignorance so that you have no excuse? So that, sorry, that you have an excuse to do nothing? Well, the church cannot and should not fall into that category. Our Lord in his word, including the verses, and the consideration repeatedly admonishes us to express his love for us to one another. If you're a member of the body of Christ, that's every individual that claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's you and that's me, Paul Worrell. Each one of us has a personal responsibility to be a good neighbor. The opportunities for neighborliness in this country, the Bahamas, are endless. So many of us have been beaten by life's trials, feel robbed of our dignity or even will to live. Our weaknesses have been exposed and we're being taken advantage of. We are half dead. Help me, please. That's the cry everywhere. Help. Do we hear it? Or have we become emotionally and spiritually deaf? Do we love neither our brother or our sister? 
or our Lord? Somebody, please help. Help, please help. That's the cry. This priest and Levite, they pass by, see this half-dead brother, and pass by on the other side. Basically, they're saying, I don't want to be involved. He can die for all I care. Just to show how devoid of love the scene is, recognize that this injured man, this injured Jew, was leaving Jerusalem to go to Jericho. There's a good possibility that this Jew attended the same temple that this priest and Levite had just probably had probably just finished serving in. He was a fellow Jew, probably a fellow congregant. The priest had probably just finished his clerical duties and was heading to Jericho to take care of whatever else he had to take care of. Maybe he lived in Jericho, but he wanted to get to Jericho before dark. He was busy. He was very busy trying to meet his deadlines. He was on his run. The Levite probably of the same mindset. Both of these men, very aware of the teachings of the word of the Old Testament, they would be aware of the teaching in Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. This goes way back. But for some reason, they chose to disobey God's command. Think of the thoughts going through their minds. No one will see. No one will care if I ignore this man. Why do people get into these problems? If only Junior was with me, I'd be able to lecture him on what happens to people when they make bad decisions. But anyway, I got to get home. Are we so busy that we can't see the hurting person in the pew next to us? Or a spouse who is hurting? Or a child who just wants some attention? Or a sibling who's hurting? The coworker? The person that we serve in ministry with? If we are hurting, there's a good chance they are hurting too. Very good chance. Do you see yourself in these two men? Sometimes I do. Highly respected in society, comfortable in their skin, we might say. Regulars within the church community, actually part of the leadership maybe. Busy doing apparently good things, but devoid of love. How do these men really contribute to the betterment of their community? What example are they setting? Now back to the story. Along comes a Samaritan. He sees not a sworn enemy on the side of the road. He sees a man who is hurting. He sees someone who needs help. He sacrifices in order to establish a relationship and make sure his brother is healed. 
When last did we feel compassion for someone? When last did we actually hear that word compassion being used in conversation? More importantly, when last did we risk reputation? Put aside personal needs. Sacrifice those things that are dear to us, including money and time, to come to the aid of someone who is hurting. Would we go the extra mile to make sure our brother or sister is in a safe place emotionally? The Samaritan did all of this. Dear Lord, make me and mold me like this Samaritan. And if I ever need help, please send somebody like him. Let's fast forward to our lifetime. Lest you think that that's just a an analogy, That's, that isn't real. At one of the most prestigious seminaries in the U.S., a study was undertaken. The participants weren't aware of the study. Here's how the study went. The participants were all seminarians studying to become pastors. The task was they would be given a sermon title and they had a limited time within which to prepare the sermon and present the sermon. A group of 40 seminarians, they were split into um, four cohorts of 10. Thirty of the seminarians were given different sermon titles, but 10 of them were given the Good Samaritan the parable of the Good Samaritan as the sermon title. And known to all of these participants, a person in distress was placed in the center of the university courtyard. They had to cross the courtyard to deliver their sermon. Of the 30 seminarians in three cohorts, 24 of them passed this person and did nothing. But more distressing, of the 10 seminarians in the cohort that had the task to present a sermon on the Good Samaritan, only one, only one, stopped in their busy schedule to present their sermon to help a person in distress. Where are our priorities? Who do we love? Do we love God? Do we love our neighbor? Or does our love just stop at us? Are we in the church too busy, too focused, feel too unprepared? Maybe we're too important. Or we're too blessed to stop, forget about ourselves, and show love and compassion to a person in need. Busyness is killing us. You think COVID-19 is the pandemic that's killing people, that's harming community? Busyness has been with us for too long. 
too long. The church that loves God needs to love our fellow man and do so sacrificially. The level of stress, emotional and mental distress, anxiety, frustration, anger, and the like in our society is at an all-time high. We, the church, are called to be good Samaritans. I like the definition in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. You didn't know that the good Samaritan was in the Merriam-Webster, did you? A person who is generous in helping those in distress. At the Christian Counseling Center, we seek to generously help hurting people because we see it as a mandate from God and an expression of our love for God. It is an act of worship. Every one of us has been blessed by God to the extent that we can share something with our brother and sister. We all go through the challenges of life. Actually, show of hands, we have no challenges in life. Okay, that's checking. We face these challenges. Actually, Scripture tells us we have trials and tribulations. We face them. But how often do we make time for someone else who's facing these challenges to help them cope with life? The person who's having an abusive time in their relationship could appreciate just a confidential listening ear, a prayer partner, someone to give them non-judgmental, godly advice. The list goes on. The opportunities are endless. Be a godly encourager when that is all you can do. In order for us to do this continuously, consistently, without the desire for a material reward, we will need to know God's word. We need to believe and trust in God's word. And we need to live God's word. We need to know God's word in order to give wise, biblically-based counsel when called upon by our friends, our family, and even strangers. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We teach that, well, we used to teach that to our Awana clubbers every Tuesday. When I was preparing this, this came to mind straight away. Keep in God's word. Our Lord who designed us, who designed our world, knows how to fix us and to fix our world. We need to believe and trust in God's word in order to be strong in the face of a world that does not value godliness as strength. Actually, this world thinks of godliness as weakness. James 1, 5, 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We need to live God's word 
so that by our example, we can bring relief to the hurting and have credibility when we try to assist our brothers in need. What does living God's word look like? Another verse that's dear to my heart, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice this verse does not talk about the pursuit of happiness as the world defines it. The pursuit of education, material riches, good looks for life, and all the other trappings that bring a false sense of accomplishment, a false sense of power, and a false sense of security. It talks about community building behaviors. We have to be just in our relationships with others. This is more for the benefit of the other person. We are to love kindness. We are to be kind to others. And we are to walk humbly with our God. We have to be conduit of, conduits of love to other people. God loves us. In an indescribable way. Without reservation. Not because we deserve it. The counselors of the Christian Counseling Center are committed to increasing the knowledge of God's word in order to provide wise, godly counsel. We also committed followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting God's word without reservation. We also committed to living our lives before men so that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives as evidence of Christ in us. The overwhelming majority of issues that we deal with at the center, they have their beginning in broken relationships. Relationship is at the core of our existence. And in the church, we are not immune to broken relationships. It's in the church. It's in the world. Wherever we are people, we have relationships. And they break. In the time that I have left, I would just like like to look at the behavior of the Good Samaritan through the lens of an acronym that has been developed by Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott, who apply this principle to differences or arguments or fights within the marital context. But I think they are applicable in any relationship. The acronym is CORE, C-O-R-E, which stands for Cooperation, Ownership, Respect, Empathy. Cooperation. We need to cooperate with each other. We aren't each other's enemy. Husbands and wives need to recognize that. We're not enemies. We're in this together. As the body of Christ, we aren't enemies. We're in this together. As just sojourners through life, we aren't enemies. We're in this together. There's enough beating us up you don't need to add to it and beat each other up. Let's cooperate. The good Samaritan, his family, the society, was telling him, do not cooperate with these Jews. They're no good. He decided a relationship had to be established. So he established a relationship. Granted, the Jew couldn't do much because he was half dead. 
But if he was not half dead, just concussed, he might have made things difficult. He might not have cooperated for his betterment. We need to cooperate. That's where it starts, the desire to cooperate, to meet the common goal. O stands for ownership. Take ownership of the situation. If there is a breakdown in the relationship, take ownership of that break. I will take the first step to bring healing to this relationship. The Good Samaritan, he didn't say, you know what? Let those Jews take care of the Jews. It's not my problem. It's someone else's problem. How often do we do that? It isn't my problem. That's the pastor's problem. That's the deacon's problem. That's, that's Mark's problem. You know, that's Monty's problem. That's somebody else's problem. They're better suited to it. No, no, no. Here's a hurting man. He needs help. I'm going to offer it. What can I do? He decides this is what I can do. And he does it. He took ownership of the situation. He didn't cast blame. We need to take ownership of the relationships that we are involved in. And quite often, we need to establish new relationships so that healing can take place, so that hurting people can receive help. R stands for respect. We need to be respectful, even as we cooperate and take ownership. We need to be respectful. Is there anyone here that doesn't feel they need to be respected? But if we're going to love each other as we love ourselves, then I think we need to respect each other. There needs to be respect in our relationships. Otherwise, they're going to break down really quickly. Really quickly. And, you know, quite often when there's a rift in a relationship, you know, demeaning language, blame throwing, things that we, regret, that we regret, we say. But there's no place for that. Definitely not in, in broken relationships, especially between the people of God. We need to be respectful. Because we can cooperate and take ownership as much as we want. But that lack of respect can open new wounds, can make existing wounds even larger, I can tell you, it definitely heals no wound. We need to be respectful. Even when dealing with the most vexatious person, we need to be respectful. Now, when we take ownership, we could say, you know, 95% of the problem is because of him. 
And when we take ownership, we have to take ownership of our 5%, help the other person with their 95%, and not grumble. But build that other person up so they feel they are of worth. They are of worth. Respect. The last one is empathy. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. That's what the Good Samaritan did. If I was half dead on the side of the street, what would I want someone to do? Help me. Obviously, the Pharisees and Levites didn't put themselves in the other person's shoe. Samaritan did. Put yourself in the other person's shoe. Think of a time when you were at an all-time low in life. You really needed help. You didn't know how to help yourself. Maybe you cried out to God to take you home. I know I was there. I prayed to God, Dear Lord, please send Jesus. Or just take me right now. I've been there. Was there someone who came alongside you and helped, healed? Or if no one came, what could someone have done to help you through that time? Just think about that. Go and do the same. Be that change you want to see. You would help the Christian Counseling Center by healing relationships that don't have to come to the Christian Counseling Center. God has equipped each one of us through his word to help hurting people. Go and do the same. May God bless you and keep you as you walk in obedience to our Lord's word.